0: The future of orthodontics is evolving and changing every day. But although the way to achieve practice growth has changed, there's never been a better time to be an orthodontist. Let's get into the minds of industry leaders, forward-thinking orthodontists, and technology insiders to learn how they see the future of the orthodontic specialty. How will digital orthodontics, artificial intelligence, clear aligner therapy, remote monitoring, in-house printing, and other innovations change the way you practice? Join your hosts Dr. Leon Klempner and Amy Epstein each month as they bring you insights, tips, and guest interviews focused on helping you capitalize on the opportunities for practice growth. And now, welcome to the golden age of orthodontics with the co-founders of People and Practice, Dr. Leon Klempner and Amy Epstein
1: welcome back to the podcast i'm dr leon klempner retired orthodontist and the ceo of people in practice i'm here with my co-host daughter people in practice partner and the marketing guru amy epstein
2: thank you dad for that kind introduction and for those that don't know he and i joined up about Eleven years ago now, uh, to start up people in practice, which is a marketing firm for orthodontists.
1: Why can't I get an introduction like that once in a while?
2: <laughs> oh yeah, I just I just like don't people know who you are? I mean, you need no introduction. You need uh, okay. no introduction about
1: that. <laughs> all right, is that a good right, save? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if my mother were alive, she'd be quite upset. She'd be that disappointed. I don't get <laughs>
2: If your mother were alive, the intro would be very different, though.
1: (laughs) It would just be me. Here's
2: here's Leon, my tall, handsome, (laughs) smart, smartest person. My son. Uh,
1: Well, you were close second, I have to say. So, you know, what can I say? Anyway, it has been a wild ride with this podcast. Uh, We've been doing it a long time now. And... We're about to start our fourth year, believe it or not. And we've had about four, I think, 40,000 downloads. Yeah, 40,000 downloads. And if you're new to the podcast, be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can uh, not miss any.
2: It does seem like it was yesterday we bought these fancy microphones and wondered if anybody would actually listen to us, so
1: well we've been lucky enough to have some really great guests on the show so uh we thought it would be useful to share some of the highlights with you on this episode uh so if you hear something you find interesting you can actually download and listen to the entire 30 to 40 minute or so episode on our website pplpractice.com slash podcast or apple Podcasts, spotify youtube or wherever you consume your podcast uh, data
2: you know we've been lucky enough um to have some really great guests like you said uh it was hard to narrow it down uh to a couple of highlights but um we're going to share today some content from episodes um where we've had as our guest chris benson of benson and Copple, suzanne wilson formerly of gage and now with dental monitoring dr sky neslenas Wes Lyon of McGill and Lyon, and everyone's favorite TikToker, ortho attorney, Trey Lawrence.
1: So let's get started. Uh, In episode 33, uh, we asked one of my favorite guys, Chris Benson, about what's the future of orthodontics look like from his perspective? And uh, what is his thoughts about the digital technology uh, that's taking place? He shared his observations of key players in the industry and where they're focusing their investments. But let me let Chris tell you.
3: You know, if I look over the last, I don't know, uh, 24 months, where, where has the money flowed? You know, you kind of look and you start with a line. that has got a market cap, depending on when you catch uh, the stock uh, at around $55 billion. Uh, sometimes it's below that, sometimes it's above, but it's just, they're the biggest ones in ortho and they're only 26 years old. So, you know, just a, a great strength there. Then you, you just kind of rattle down through some really quality companies. You know, Straumann Group that uh, provides a lot of services in dental and ortho, uh, owns ClearCorrect. They bought a company called DR Smile uh, a year ago. Uh, that's like a, a direct to consumer company. You look at ormco which was a kind of a bastion of markets uh, or brackets for really years it was the who's who the polo club the the cool kids um they're really putting all their investment dollars into um their aligner right now um called spark and you know insignia which was an incredibly awesome idea is really kind of shelved uh right now the Damon bracket still exists but um i don't think we're going to see a whole lot of more of r d dollars chasing that you look at rocky mountain last year they were bought by uh ortho america holdings Uh, it's really they had two dozen or so reps uh, uh, in the united states now they have single digits they're taking that product and it's a whole suite of the, of the Rocky Mountain products down to South America. Uh, so that was that play. You look at Dent Supply, Serona, they got totally out of the bracket business, made some pretty brash statements and said the future is a liners period. Um, and then they spent a billion dollars in cash and bought a company called Byte, another direct to consumer company. You look at Lightforce, they raised $50 million. This is a mass digitized customers, uh, customized, you know, bracket, indirect bonded. Uh, That's the future of the bracket world. You look at Embrace on the West Coast, John Pham and his group raised another 102 million last year in series D financing uh, on top of 70 million uh, that they had before. Um, So that's gonna make a splash in orthodontics over time. Uh, You just gotta believe. Uh, dental monitoring French company uh, just raised very quickly $150 million and has a valuation of a billion dollars uh, for virtual monitoring and other digital play. Uh, you got ulab lab that just raised 54.5 million in series E financing a, a digital play. You've got KLO embraces with a uh, product called stride. That's a, a lighter version of light force, I guess you'd say, and uh, they're going to be chasing some money. So all this tells me uh, that uh, you know, there's not gonna be a lot of R&D dollars spent by the big bracket companies on brackets anymore. It's all going into aligners. It's going into digital workflow. Um, it's going into digital printing. And the future of orthodontics is gonna be digital. Uh, that means a lot of things, mostly lab fees. So we gotta reorganize our p and and it mo- means changes in digital workflow. Uh, which means we have to deploy people differently in order to have high quality of life. So long answer, Leon, but uh, a lot of money flowing into digital. That's the future. It's going to take nine years more to get more serious about that. But that's where I'd be headed strategically with my practice right now is, is understanding and getting into the digital space deep because if you wait five more years, that's going to be a steep hill to climb.
2: Chris goes on to respond to a caller question asking about the implementation of technology to increase profitability and enhance capacity for growth. He shares his recommendations about how to rework the team that you already have in place in order to support new technology that's integrated into your practice. And it seems the key without giving too much away is enabling and empowering them to free up doctor time.
3: As far as remote monitoring and everything, that's the future. You've got to retool your team. When you say, you know, and talk to doctors, where's the pain in this digital environment? It's in, oh, I got to spend all my time behind a computer. And so we've got, to, we've got to deploy our team members so that they can help us um, spend less time behind the computer. And that means more virtual appointments. Uh, so we have more time in the office to do these things. Um, and that means also, training assistance for whatever system we use for aligners or mass digital customized braces to get those cases set up so that we just are kind of checking it off and tweaking versus doing the entire job uh, all on the doctor's time.
1: Chris goes into more detail here about how to harness the skill, experience, and relationships of the assistants that many of you have in your offices, putting them front and center And even deploying them as what he called orthodontic PAs uh, similar to uh, what uh, uh, medical doctors have these physician assistants here's what he has to say
3: you really introduced me Leon to dental monitoring you said hey you need to take a look at this product this company what what it does and and I have, and, and just just my personal experience is, you know, I haven't been happy with my smile. I had braces as a teenager. I'm 60 years old. My teeth have moved. I just got scanned by David Sarver in Birmingham. I live in Greensboro. We're going to do Invisalign. I'm going to have dental monitoring monitor the case. Um, you know, this is going to be, uh, for me, a bit of a case study for how to speak about you know, this digital movement personally from the podium, because I think we're gonna be able to manage my case with two or three visits where I get some nice dinners with David and, and that's it. And, you know, fortunately I, I can do that, but, um, you know, can you do that with people in town? Heck yeah. And, and uh, we're seeing this over and over. So I, I, I totally agree. And this this whole idea of your staff and medicine and the parallels, uh, you know, the, the term I'm using to, for orthodontists is turn some of your staff into PAs. Uh, like we have in medicine, because every every practice I work with says this person right here has been with me for 20 years. They think like I do. They could be an orthodontist. If They're just amazing. You know, uh, and so forth. That's a skill set that can be turned into a PA that can be a virtual assistant for you and really save you tons of time. That's where we're headed. That's where orthodontics is going. I see it very clearly. Um, a lot of people don't want to be there because they don't have to be there because they're so busy right now, but we're going to go back to a tighter market and in order to get some of this incredible fun growth that you've experienced um, in 2021, you have to do some things differently. And, you know, I think uh, first guy over the hill, you know, takes a lot of arrows in the chest. You don't have to be the first guy over the hill anymore. There's a lot of evidence that says, hey, this works, you're not gonna get burned or cut or bleed a lot. Um, You gotta learn some things. You gonna be willing to change. And I think it could be a lot of fun.
2: Another of my favorite episodes is when we spoke to Suzanne Wilson, then chief marketing officer of Gage about the value per visit metric. We hear it a lot. um, And it was good to hear from her about that particular um, metric because Gage collects and interprets a lot of data around it you know I love numbers. Um, This particular key performance indicator uh, was interesting to understand what it means for a practice. Here's what she has to say.
4: The value per
1: visit is so important because when we think about what we are doing every day, we have a capacity, right? We can only see so many patients. We only have so many chairs, so much staff, so on and so forth. So, understanding what our costs are and what our production is, is an essential business metric. So that value per visit really helps us understand, am I doing well? Um, do I need to look at some different systems? Maybe I need to do more aligners, or maybe I want to look at a different kind of bracket system. You know, you had mentioned light force, or maybe it's, you know, ORMCO or others or, or, um, using 3M, whatever it may be, um, understanding what's really going on as far as our performance in the clinic is essential to decision-making. Speaking of looking into new treatment modalities modalities and technologies, in a recent episode, we asked Sky Neslinis, based in Toronto, why she moved away from Invisalign as her aligner company.
5: So I think um, ULab has done several things right that I recognize in a company that is truly going to be in a partnership with orthodontists. So the attractive feature is that they offer ULAB services, ULAB aligners exclusively to orthodontists. Um, We all as a profession had a bit of a gripe that Invisalign marketed firstly to the general dentist before they marketed to the orthodontist. Um, So there was a big difference in there. I felt like I would be offering an exclusive product to our profession. Um, ULab management team developers listened to, actively listened to orthodontists and their gripes about the leading brand shortcomings. So when they launched their product onto the market, it addressed all of the shortcomings that the leading brand had uh, as voiced by multiple times by orthodontists so it's it's almost like a uh, patient going for a second opinion so they tell you exactly what they didn't like about the first opinion so it's very easy to fall into favor as a second opinion well of course you're going to ameliorate everything else that the other provider didn't do so i feel like ulab um capitalized on all the shortcomings that were pointed out by a lot lar- over, you know, a couple of decades of treating orthodontists, and they've put um, that into action, and they've addressed our concerns, such as. We are the technicians. We're not limited by tooth movement and any algorithms. We can overwrite uh, artificial intelligence and the algorithms that are set out as the baseline, which is great. But also, I don't have to communicate over somebody who is less, who has less um, knowledge perhaps in areas of tooth movement in order to execute the movements that I want. So the process of case setup became very easy, very dynamic and under my full control. In episode
2: four, we had Wes Lyon of McGill & Lyon share his thoughts on selling your practice to an OSO or a DSO and what factors to consider. Spoiler alert, it's not about the money upfront, it's about the return. Here's Wes.
1: Wes, tell me, is it always a good deal for an ortho to sell?
4: No, that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, So think back to one of the first things I said, which is an orthodontic practice has historically sold for four to five times earnings. Those numbers have jumped up with the entrance of private equity. We're starting to see six, seven. I've seen some go as high as nine or 10 times earnings, which is fantastic. But they hand you this pile of money and now all of a sudden you have to turn around and you have to find a place to put this money that's gonna generate as high of a return as your orthodontic practice was. And many times they're trying to convince you that this is a great deal because they want the profits that they can't find elsewhere. So you have to think there is a reason that these people wanna buy your practice. It's a very good reason. It's also the reason one of the most rewarding things you can do is own a practice. So the check is not a good reason to sell.
1: We also spoke with Trey Lawrence, general counsel of the AAO, who discussed how to best position yourself if a lawsuit comes up after retreating a direct-to-consumer case. In a nutshell, it's a combination of documentation, informed consent, and expectation management. Uh, Listen to him explain exactly what he means in this clip.
6: Ultimately, I think first of all, the most important consideration is ultimately you got to use your own discretion. You got to use your own judgment. Am I comfortable taking this case? What is the what's the treatment that this patient apparently received previously? What is the harm that they experienced? Do I feel like I still have a, a acceptable chance of providing a successful treatment outcome for this patient? And if the answer to that question is yes, then you move forward. So then how do you move forward? Well, again, the the consideration that you're trying to keep in mind here is you only want to be responsible legally for anything that results from the treatment you provided, not from treatment that somebody else provided. The good news is that the law agrees with you in that. You know, the law is only going to hold you responsible for harm that is proximately caused by treatment that you provide. It's not going to hold you. Uh, responsible legally for harm that was proximately caused by treatment that somebody else or another company provided. The challenge is going to be demonstrating that to the decision maker, to the court, to a dental board. So how do you do that? The first big step and probably the most important step on doing that is of what, uh, another, Another AL member, Dr. Dalian Featheringham, I have to give her credit for this phrase, but she coined it as immaculate documentation. And so that basically means whatever possible records you can take when you when you first see that patient before you decide to move forward with treatment, every possible imaging that you can do, photographs, all of that, you want to you know make sure that you have as thorough of a record as possible to document the condition that the patient was in when they came to see you and to document as much as you can anything that the patient has experienced or any condition that they currently have that's a result of that former treatment. So immaculate documentation, do everything you possibly can to record the condition that you're in. Because all of that, again, all of that's going to be crucial if you have to demonstrate to a jury or to a dental board that the harm that the patient's complaining of is harm that resulted from prior treatment and then not from the treatment that you're providing. So a second big step is going to be the informed consent process. This is obviously, it's always an important part of any kind of treatment, but it is particularly important in these situations. So first of all, right out of the gate on that, I want to hammer on a phrase that we use all the time at the AL legal department, that's informed consent is a process and not a form because I know in, in the ordinary course of routine treatment, it can become very easy to let that informed consent just become another piece of paperwork that you have your staff help you to get the patient to fill out You know, with all these other forms they're completing and just kind of shuffle it through. It's really not intended to be that, even in normal cases. It's really intended to be an interaction between the doctor and the patient where the, where the patient is informed of the risk of their treatment, possible side effects, and then the benefits of their treatment and then based on all that, they make the decision to move forward. So that is especially important in these cases where a patients treated with the direct-to-consumer company and maybe didn't get care that met the standard of care or uh, you know, po- possibly experienced some actual harm from it because you really got to make sure that the patient is clear In their understanding of maybe what, first of all, what conditions they're bringing into the treatment, some, you know, if they've experienced some kind of a harm from this direct to consumer treatment. Or secondly, you also need to make sure that the patient has reasonable expectations about what it is or isn't possible to do through treatment, because it may, in fact, be the case that because of something that was done previously. Um, you may not be able to get 100% of the results that you would ordinarily get in that kind of case. You know, maybe you can only get them 80 or 90% of the way there. And so you want to make sure that the patient is clear and understanding that and then makes a decision to move forward to treat with you based on that understanding. And so that's where that informed consent form is really a crucial uh, piece of that process to make sure that you've documented all of that, that you've got all that information there, the patient acknowledges it, and signs it. And then finally, you know, when we talk about these things, there's there's no we say this in the law all the time about lots of things that are not limited just to dentistry or orthodontic practice, but there's no way to 100% guarantee you can't be sued. I mean, people can still sue you. What you're really looking to do is minimize your legal risk in case you are sued and then ma- minimize uh, or maximize your chances of prevailing on that claim if you are sued. And so that's where all of these things come in. You know, there's there's no magic step, unfortunately, that I can give orthodontists to say, treat one of these cases and do this, and you have a 100% chance of not getting sued. But hopefully through documentation, through a, a, a very... Um, energetic and robust uh, informed consent process and making sure the patient's clear on what they expect and and knowing where they are when they come in, you can hopefully minimize the chance of getting sued and then certainly uh, put your best case forward if you are sued or you do get a dental board complaint in that situation.
1: Thanks for listening in today. We continue to bring you the most informative guests discussing topics that we feel are important to you. If you find our podcast useful, share it with a colleague we'd really appreciate it you can find all of our podcasts on apple soundcloud spotify or on our website pplpractice.com podcasts so we've been talking today about highlights from last year but this year is shaping up to be very exciting as well
2: it is should we tell them
1: well uh to tell you the truth we might be we we might not be able to uh keep it a secret much longer
2: okay so we will uh tease the fact that we are starting up a brand new podcast this one focusing on team members in a practice specifically and we're bringing on an additional host to help with that podcast so we're very excited to be launching that in the next few months so please stay tuned to this podcast and we'll give you all the details thanks for listening to the golden age of orthodontics podcast we look forward to delivering some useful and insightful informative content to you again next month and remember for forward thinking orthos the golden age of orthodontics is ahead bye for now
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Golden Age of Orthodontics. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or visit our website at thegoldenageoforthodontics.com for direct links to both the audio and video
3: versions of this episode.